Couple more announcements, um, kind of blended in with where we're headed. Today we're beginning a new kind of a series uh, asking some different kind of questions, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, two weeks from today though is Missional Extension Sunday, which is a fancy way of saying if you're doing something cool this summer, going out on mission, we want to know about it. We want to have you up front and let you share with us what you're doing. We want to let you have a space out in the foyer to share what you're doing. I want to pray for you, support you, and uh, encourage you. So if you are a student or anyone else, it seems to be mostly students who are kind of going, doing the Costa Rica thing or whatever it is, please let us know. Email Rasarai, and uh, we'll set you up for that. Also, the week after that is Bloomsday Sunday, and we are having a service here at 10 o'clock, but we don't want you to be here. We really don't. Um, we say a lot from, the, from up here that this is not what church is, that it's not about Sunday mornings, and though we say it a lot, we always have Sunday mornings and expect you to be here. So Bloomsday, we don't want you to be here. It's not about being here. We want you to be in the city. We want you to run if that's what you want to do. We want you to just hang out with people from our community if that's what you want to do. We want you to be creative, think about some cool ways you can go down with your small group and and serve God in some kind of unique way that we don't normally do on Sunday morning. So, think about it, be creative, and don't come here. If you do come here, we will have a little service for you. But I will not be here, and Russ will not be here, and Kevin will not be here. So who will? <laughs> it's a mystery. Uh, I think that's the announcements. Um, we are, as I said, beginning kind of a question series. You could, in a sense, say we kicked it off last Sunday with Easter and what if. Um, this series probably isn't what we originally imagined it. I kind of imagined getting into all these, you know, deep theological questions and ooh, having these arguments. And it's kind of turned into something, I think, a lot better <laughs> than having arguments. Fancy that. Um, so I think it's going to be a cool series. Um, we're going to be asking some different kinds of questions. Uh, we asked for questions from small group leaders and got some of those and kind of just went off on our own on some. And uh, it should be good. The week after Bloomsday, we're going to be looking at even questions like, why do we plant churches? Uh, which will be a really good question to answer as well. So encourage you to, to try to come here. And even Bloomsday is asking the question of, you know, why are we in the city? Why do we do church? How can we engage the culture? So should be fun. But if we're looking at questions, there's obviously going to be answers, right? And last week I talked a little bit kind of about some characteristics of questions, some negative, some positive. Today I want to look a little bit at answers because if we have this big question mark on our bulletin and we're asking questions and we assume we're going to be giving answers. And answers to me, just like questions, are a weird little thing, right? They have these unique characteristics. Not necessarily positive or negative, but the first one to me is that answers are slimy. They're slimy. You know those little toys that they squeeze them and they always kind of fall out of your hands? That to me is a lot of answers these days. I don't know. Have any of you just tried to find the answer to something like, uh, let's say, why we're in a recession? Like, I've done this. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to find out why this is happening. Oh, that's why. Oh, wait, this guy says that's not why. Oh, wait, this guy says this is not. What? Okay. Oh, I'm so confused. I'll turn on the radio. That'll solve it. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, wait, this guy said. I can't even find an answer. 
fun of a bunch of opinions. And it's so hard these days to even get the facts. It's so hard to even get answers. They just kind of slip through your hands. I came across this really funny little uh, news cycle graphic, which you won't be able to really read. But it says, you start here with your research, which is A is correlated with B. And then it's translated by the university PR office. And it says, yes, you have one. And it says, for immediate release, scientists find potential link between A and B, which is then picked up by the newswire organizations, which say A causes B, say scientists. And then it moves to the internet, which say scientists are out to kill us again. Then it moves to the cable news, which says A causes B all the time. And then it turns to your local news, which says what you don't know about A can kill you more at 11. <laughs> and then it moves to your grandma wearing a hat saying, I'm wearing this to ward off A. I just thought that was so funny. Starts with this research. There might be this correlation, and by the end of it, we're freaked out and afraid because A is going to kill us all. And we know this is the way answers work, right? So there's kind of this tendency even at times for me, I don't even want to look for the answer because I don't even trust the answer. Because if you want to find an answer for something, chances are you probably can, especially on the internet. God bless the internet. So answers are slimy. And part of that is good because we, when we get an answer, it kind of, we hold on for, to it for a little while and then it slips through and kind of makes us maybe go look for something else. And I think that can be positive and negative. Another characteristic of answers is that they are often divisive. I mean, they just divide. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. No. Pretty good division right there. Are you a, you know, fill in the blank. Are you a Republican? Yes. No. Are you a Cougar fan? Yes. No. I mean, are you a, are you a, are you a? And constantly these answers tend to divide us. And some of those divisions, again, are good. Not going to make light of early Christians who said, yes, Jesus is Lord. That division was very real. It was very true. And they were often killed for that division. But answers have this tendency to do that. Now, answers to, is Jesus Lord, should divide. They do. There's some answers that also divide us that maybe shouldn't. And we in the church are pretty good about dividing ourselves with answers. Are you a Calvinist, Armenian? Are you a this? Are you a that? Oh, I'm over here. I'm over here. And we kind of like to do this dividing thing. And again, that's just kind of the way answers work. Oh, yep, I'm over here. You're over there. We're divided. Again, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Third thing I think answers do, and it's kind of related to being divisive, is they enlarge our head. Now again, this is positive, right? We want to grow our heads. We want to grow our understanding and our knowledge and our learning. Agreed. Came across this quote from Donald Miller again. I must be on a Donald Miller kick. He says, a conclusion is the place you reach when you get tired of thinking. I love that quote. I've got my answer. I'm not going to think about it anymore. So again, to me, what happens is we've got our answer. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. And that's probably a pretty good one that I don't really need to think about too much, or otherwise I may not call myself a Christian. I'm okay with that one. But what happens is I've got the answer to this question, and so now that means I've got the answers to a lot of other questions. 
like how you should vote, how you should live, how you should do this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that, because I know the answer to this one. And I'll be happy to tell you. And then I start to get pretty big-headed, in my opinion. And I think we as Christians are really good at this one, because we have some answers that are true answers that we believe very strongly about, and we should. But then we tend to, well, I've got this answer, and I'm going to move them over into all these other answers that I also know. And this is not just limited to Christians, believe me. I mean, everybody can do this. I don't care if you're an agnostic, atheist, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever. I mean, we love to, I've got my answers over here, and now I know kind of everything. But I would propose that we as Christians should be really bad at this one. We should really know what we know and know what we don't know and be okay with that. If we focused a lot more on the Jesus is Lord and I'm pretty confident in this answer and a lot less on all the answers over here, we'd probably do a lot better job. Just my hypothesis. I'm trying to do better at it, believe me, not the pro. So, answers, they can be slimy. They can be divisive. They can kind of give us big heads at times. So what is this series going to look like? How the heck are we going to give you answers? Well, first thing it's not going to look like is me standing up here and giving you the answer. <laughs> or Russ or Kevin. Hopefully there's going to be some different ways to find answers to these things. And I'm not leading into there is no answer, or I don't have an opinion, or there is no truth. I'm not going there. But the fact is, my opinion... My answer, I could give it to you, and you could listen to it. And if it doesn't affect the way you live, then I'm not really sure that it's done anyone any good. So this isn't really about you just kind of agreeing with my answers, or Russ's, or Kevin, or Dave, or whoever else. This is about, hopefully, you finding the answer. You coming up with the answer that affects the way you live in reality. Maybe that'll make a little more sense when I get into our first question. The first question was not this question until last Friday. We had a 12-hour day of prayer here at the church. And I came to the community hour of prayer, which was from noon to 1. We sat right here, and there were six of us here. There was the guy singing who had to be here. There were three of us who were staff members, four of us who were staff members who had to be here, one of our spouses, and one person who didn't have to be here really. Spouse didn't have to be here, but she was a supportive spouse. So we had one person here from the community for our community hour of prayer. And I was sitting here, and I'll be honest, we prayed out loud, and my first prayer was, God, I'm pretty bitter right now because no one's here. And then I thought, lest you feel like I'm condemning you, I thought, man, if I didn't have to be here, I wouldn't be here either. And then I thought, why not? And then I thought, man, what, what is the deal with this day of prayer? Should we even do this? Should anybody come? Why don't I want to come? Why don't people want to come? Maybe we didn't advertise it enough. Maybe we didn't do this. Yeah, whatever. There's other reasons. And so then I started to even think about prayer. I mean, 
Are we known as a church of prayer? Should we be? What does that mean? What does it look like? Does it mean we all come to the 12-hour days of prayer, or maybe we all pray in our closets? You know, I don't know. I started to have a lot of questions, and I started to think a lot about prayer. And when you start thinking a lot about prayer, it becomes mysterious, is a positive way to say it. My wife said to use the word mysterious. But it becomes weird. That's the negative way to say it. I mean, you start thinking about prayer. What is this thing, prayer, that we do? We have so many kind of just weird things. I mean, at the end of a talk, I get up here and pray in front of you all. And you all listen. You just go, that's kind of weird if you think about it. It's even kind of weird that I go into a room and I just talk out loud. And I think God's listening. I believe He is listening. You should really start to dissect it. Well, it's kind of weird. And the dinner prayers. I mean, why is it some days I sit down for dinner and I just don't want to pray? I don't want to say the little dinner prayer. And if I do say it, does it matter? Does it really mean anything if I'm just kind of going through some words? And why is it when my five-year-old prays, I'm so moved? Why is it? I mean, why does this little five-year-old, and yeah, she's cute, she's a little five-year-old, but there's something about her prayer where I go, oh. And why is it when I did come to the 12-hour prayer and there was a guy sitting back here on his knees, I was, I almost started to cry. Like, why is that? And why does it mean so much to me when someone says, hey, I've been praying for you? Versus, hey, I've been thinking about you. And that, that means a lot, but hey, I've been praying for you. And why is it when someone says, hey, Ryan, I'm going to pray for you this week? I first think, oh, yeah, we all say that. And then I think, man, I hope you do. Because I really, it means something when we pray. So prayer is complicated. We could have a 12-week series on prayer easily. We're not going to. Instead, I'm going to give you five quick little things on prayer. These are not probably the first time you've heard them, so I apologize. You won't have any new revelations this morning, or maybe you will. First one is this. Jesus prayed, and he told us to pray. So I don't know what prayer looks like. I know it looks different to all of us. I know Sometimes you're in your closet, sometimes you're in the car, sometimes it's out loud, sometimes it's in your head, sometimes it's this and that and this. I don't know what it is, but we should all be doing it. And maybe, again, that doesn't mean we come in here for a 12-hour day of prayer, but it means we should all be praying. Jesus didn't say, if you pray, pray like this. He said, when you pray. And he told his disciples on numerous accounts, go pray. Pray this, pray that. In the Garden of Gethsemane is an example. Pray for me. Jesus went away time after time and said, pray, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying. So the first thing is, it's very simple, but I often think we need to be reminded of it. We should be praying. Martin Luther King said this, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Kind of one of those you read, yep, sounds good. Do I believe that? you really believe that? To be a Christian without prayer is like being alive without breathing. I mean, you have to do it. First one. Second one is this. We are supposed to pray for people we don't like. A lot of times we think we're just supposed to pray for the 
person who's sick, which we are, our friends who are in the job interview or whatever, Jesus said in Matthew 5, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We're supposed to find that person that's really hurt us. The one that did that thing a couple years ago, still can't get over it, and pray for them. And pray that God would show his love to them. Pray that we would be able to forgive them. Pray blessings on them. Third thing, prayer should trigger us. We talked about this book before, The Unlikely Disciple. The guy is Kevin Roos. He was a Brown student, Brown University student. I was, I was thinking a modern family if you saw it. Uh, sorry. Okay. Brown University student, and he decided to go to Liberty University, which is Jerry Falwell's university, because he wanted to see what it was like. And so he went to some friends of his who were Christians and got the, the correct lingo for Christians so that he would kind of slide in at Liberty. She told him, there's this great line, just quote C.S. Lewis a lot. So anyway, he went to this university, and he, he lived as though he were a Christian, even though he wasn't. He has this great story of praying. He didn't really even necessarily believe in prayer, but he was praying one night for his roommate at Brown. And as he was praying for his roommate, he thought, man, I should write him a note. And so he got out a piece of paper, wrote his roommate a note, just said, I care about you and love you. Found out when the roommate got the note... He just started weeping, tears pouring down his face and said, that note meant more to me than you'll ever know. I've never gotten a note like that from anybody. So this is an atheist who was moved in prayer to do something. He, can't, he said this quote, I'm still not totally settled on prayer. Part of me still thinks it's a waste of time, and another part of me wonders whether I could be increasing my levels of compassion some other way. Watching Nancy Grace every day, Maybe, or reading news stories about famine in third world countries. It's probably a bad sign if the only way I can tone down my narcissism is by forcing myself to believe that God is monitoring my thoughts. But for now, it doesn't seem to be hurting anyone, so I guess I'll keep at it. And then he says this, When I think of the benefits I'm reaping, a little cognitive dissidence seems like a small price to, play, to pay. This is an atheist. This guy doesn't even believe his prayers are really doing anything. And yet he's saying, when I pray, there's a lot of benefit. It makes me do things for people. And imagine if I'm praying for the people I really don't like, what I may be spurred to do for them. Or if I'm praying for the people I do like, the person who is sick in the hospital, what I may be spurred to do for them. I think prayer should trigger us to do something, at least a lot of the time. Fourth one, prayer doesn't need to be impressive. Kind of know the verse, you've probably heard it before, but I'll read it again, Matthew 6. Jesus speaking, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, Close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. 
and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And then he says, pray in this way at the Lord's Prayer. Prayer should not be impressive first for anyone else, for us. And you know, this is it's a funny one, getting back to the prayer at the end of talks, you know. Get up here, usually our prayers are like transition prayers so we can get the worship team up here. We'll make fun of each other. Oh, Ryan, you, you know, I needed a three-minute prayer. We've got to get the team up here. It's like, well, if I get a three-minute prayer, I need to make it impressive. Right? I mean, no. No, prayer shouldn't be impressive. The point of prayer is not to impress anyone. And I think that's freeing. It should be. I think so often we come with this, got to have the kind of the words and the lingo and say it in the right way. No, no, you don't. Just come and say, God, I don't even want to pray. I feel like an idiot right now in front of these people. Man, I would think that would be a powerful prayer if I heard it. Doesn't need to be impressive to men or to God. Again, I think I was just talking with some guys uh, Friday morning on prayer and just how often this, this guy was basically saying, you know, I don't even know, I haven't really prayed thanksgiving to God anymore because I'm just not sure what to say. So I just don't do it. And I think we do that in so many instances. Well, God, I just, I just don't know what I necessarily believe on this one yet or how I feel about this, so I just won't pray. And God says, Jesus says, God already knows. You know that thought you had? He's, the, he's there. He knows the thought. He knows everything. Just say it. He already knows what you need. He already knows what you're thinking. Don't try to impress him. Just go to him and say, what's ever on your heart? Be honest. So prayer shouldn't impress anyone. And number five, we should keep at it. There's a story in Luke 18, which is a weird story. Someday I would love to do a whole talk on it, but... Jesus tells it this. He was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And this is the story. There was a city where there was a judge. And the judge did not fear God nor respect men. So this judge was not really a great guy. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to this judge and saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while, the judge was unwilling because, again, he didn't fear God, didn't respect men, not a great guy, this widow's begging. No, no thanks. But afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. So this judge says, Oh, just to get this woman to stop bothering me and wearing me out, I'll give her legal protection. And then Jesus says, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. It doesn't necessarily tie the two stories together in a lot of ways, we are like, Jesus, you just told this story about this judge who answers the request because this woman's just bugging him. Then you move it into, how much more will God answer yours? 
Again, surface read, what I take away, keep praying. Don't lose heart. We live in a world it's easy to just, well, kind of prayed, nothing really happened. I'm not sure that really works. And Jesus said, no, keep at it. Keep praying, keep talking to your Father. So five quick things, not really answers, right? Some thoughts. We're going to do something a little different this morning. You may have noticed we have little stations set up around the sanctuary. These are the stations from the 12-hour prayer day, basically. It's one over here for little sticky notes. Write a request. Stick it on the wall. There's one back here for confession. Write something on a piece of paper and drop it in the flame. And let it burn. This one over here is for our missionaries. These are the missionaries our church supports. It's where they're at in the world. There's a place to write them a note, to be triggered in praying for them to write them a note. Communion over here. We're going to be showing some Thoughts on the boards for the first uh, few minutes. Today's headlines. Other churches in town. A picture of the Milky Way. Something to kind of spur you on. And we're pretty much done. It's 10-10. This is not a, we're going to be watching you to see if you leave. If you want to go home, hey, no one complains about getting out of church 20 minutes early. Seriously, though, don't, this is not a pressure thing. If you want to go home and pray, go home and pray. If you want to pray on the car ride home, Go do that. But what we want to do is just give you an opportunity to pray this morning. I mean, how crazy is that? We're a community that gathers, thinks we should pray. Maybe we should all pray together. And for me, getting back to that 12-hour prayer, I wouldn't have come to it. But after I came, I would come again. <laughs> With six of us here, I would come again in a heartbeat. Because prayer is powerful. It's moving. Seeing the notes that were piled in the bucket there for our missionaries was awesome. Seeing the little sticky notes here that I could pray for felt like a community. Like I said, seeing the guy back here on his knees confessing was moving to me. So we're going to turn down the lights. The band's going to be up here, so hopefully it won't be too awkward. They're just going to pray some instrumental instrumentals for a while and then get into some songs. If you want to sing, sing. If you want to check out a station, check out a station. If you want to sit in your chair, sit in your chair. If you want to talk to somebody, talk to somebody. If you want to leave, leave. But find an answer to what you believe about prayer, maybe. Try it out. We talked last week about Jesus. If he's alive, if he's real, he should be moving us to do things. Maybe he's moving us to pray. The number one card we got in last week from Easter was people who want to be passionate again about Christ. That was the number one response by far. Pray to God and ask Him for some passion today. Say, I want to leave here more passionate than when I came in. So that's what we're doing. It's a little crazy, I know. Sorry if it's your visitor here from Easter, but you know, it's what we do here sometimes, and we think it's important. So I'm going to end in prayer, and I'm going to, now there's a really lot of pressure on me. <laughs> but uh, let's end in prayer, and we'll just uh, kind of go where you, where you want to go. Lord, uh, <laughs> I thank you that you are alive and that you listen. And uh, I thank you for the reminders again for me. They're, they're simple, Lord. They're 
heard him a million times, but I need to hear him again. I need to be reminded that if I call myself a follower of you, I need to pray. I need to be reminded to pray for people I don't like. I need to be reminded to pray and listen to you and go where you say. To be triggered by prayer. Lord, I need to be reminded not to try to be impressive. I need to be reminded to keep at it. So Lord, I pray this time isn't weird for anyone. Pray it's not awkward. Pray it's not forced. But I pray it's moving as we intentionally take some time to just think about this prayer thing, to think about talking to you, to listen to you, and to do it as a community together. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.